Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. They say you should never grow, never go grocery shopping when you are hungry. Oh, yeah, of course. We realize that. And why not? You, yeah, because you buy stuff that you really don't need. You get all caught up in uh, uh, impulse buying and you think, oh, you, oh I, you know, I want this, I want that. And it just kind of gets you out of control and you bring that home and think, what was I, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? I, I would suggest that not only should you not go to the grocery store when you're hungry, but you also probably shouldn't go to the polls and vote when you're hungry. Because when you're hungry, you don't really see clearly what it is that you truly need. And we've got elections that are just around the corner, and I've always encouraged people to understand the issues that they're voting on and then to vote with a conscience that is held captive to the Word of God. And that has never been more important than it is today. Because we are hungry. We are hungry for true leadership. We are hungry for, for answers that, that, that go beyond mere politics. And the choices are pretty slim. I remember one person used to say, if God had wanted us to vote, God would have given us candidates. That's a, that's a maybe. But really, things have not changed all that much in the past couple of thousand years. They were dealing with these same issues in Jesus' day. Now, if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open them to the sixth chapter of the Gospel according to John. And I'm, I'm going to say right up front that... The whole sixth chapter is an integrated unit. And there's a sense in which I don't have time to go through the whole sixth chapter today. And that was never my intention. But what I do want to do is go through the first 15 verses of the chapter. Because I think that the first 15 verses set the stage for what John is trying to communicate to us about Jesus and about the kingdom of God in his portrait. Now, last week, last couple of weeks, we've looked at chapter 5, and, and that was the trial. Yeah, Jesus was on trial. The crime was that he dared to heal on the Sabbath. Even though they had recognized that God gets a pass on the Sabbath, God is always at work, so he's exempt. The religious leaders of the day decided that God was exempt from following the fourth commandment. And so as they put Jesus on trial, the first thing that he does is to equate himself with the Father. You recognize that the Father is at work even on the Sabbath. I'm only doing what I see my Father doing. And in making those statements, Jesus is clearly claiming 
his divine identity. He is fully God and fully human. And then he goes through and he gives the witnesses to support. He says, you don't have to take my word for it. But look at the witnesses. John, the baptizer, who said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Or, or, or how about the voice of God, who, when I was baptized, came out of heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Or, or if you're still struggling with that, how about the miracles? You understand, you see clearly, Nicodemus pointed that out. We know that you have come from God because nobody can do the things that you do were God not with them. But we also have the testimony of Scripture and all the prophecies that are fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And then, as he's giving this defense, he masterfully changes the tide and and. He's no, longer on, he's no longer the defendant. He becomes the prosecutor. And he says to them, he says, you know what? But it's not me that's going to accuse you. Moses will accuse you because Moses wrote about me. You don't believe Moses. You don't believe me. And then we move into this sixth chapter where Jesus further identifies who he is in the midst of a hungry people. They are hungry for leadership. And Jesus gives it to them. As we read the first 15 verses of this sixth chapter, sometime after this, after the trial, Jesus crossed over to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs that he had performed on the sick. Put that in the back of your mind. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside. He sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When, Phil, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already knew, he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not be enough bread, would not buy enough bread for each to have a bite. And another disciple, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish, but how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. And Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them in, and, and filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began 
to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they had intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Now, this is the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. And, and we need to remember that the, the Gospels give us portraits. They're not snapshots, but they are portraits of Jesus. And as we, as we look at this miracle, as it's repeated in the, in the other Gospels, so there, there's some interesting variations that come up that, that give us an even greater portrait of who Jesus is. It tells us that uh, uh, in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all, all three of them, the, uh, Jesus asks the disciples, uh, give them something to eat. How are you going to do this? How are you going to take care of this? How are you going to feed these people? And, and Philip, the first one to speak up, Lord, eight, eight months worth of wages, and, and they're only going to get a taste. That could hardly satisfy anybody. And, 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 and then Simon comes along. Well, here's a lad that's got five, five barley loaves and a couple of fish, but what is that to so many? And it's important for us to note that they were barley loaves. That was the bread of the poor. These were poor people. This, Jesus is dealing with people who are in poverty, people who are struggling, people who are hungry, and not just for physical sustenance. They're longing for leadership. And, 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 and so Jesus, have everybody sit down. Now it tells us in the other Gospels that it wasn't just 5,000 men. They, they identify 5,000 men plus the women and children. So that, that easily doubles the number. Some have said that there could have been more than 20,000 people there. And, of course, that's when the textual critics jump in and say, oh, here we go again. This is why we can't believe the Bible, because they have these miracles that just can't happen. You can't feed all those people with just a few fish, a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread. If, in fact, Jesus is who he says he is and who John portrays him to be, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, all things came into being through him, how hard would it be for the creator of the universe who spoke the world into existence to either speak into existence or manipulate a few molecules in order to provide for these people. I believe in the miracle of the feeding of the five, 10,000. These were people who at that point, they were physically hungry, but more than that, they were spiritually hungry. They were starving. And Jesus comes along as a breath of fresh air. And he challenges. Oh, not the Romans. He doesn't challenge the Herodians. He challenges the religious leaders of the day. 
who had convinced the masses that they were the problem. Don't look to us for solutions. The solution is out there. You people are living in sin. And if you just got your life together, then the Lord would send a Messiah and the Messiah would lead us into a victory in overthrowing the Romans and the Herodians. And isn't that what you want? Yeah, but what do they need? So they're hearing, they're, they're hearing Jesus challenge the religious leaders of the day. And they're thinking, this is great. And they're listening to Jesus teach. And they're, and they're saying, this guy, he's teaching, with, he's teaching with authority. Not like the other religious leaders of the day who are simply parroting what other religious leaders in the past have said. The teachings of Jesus are unlike anything we've ever heard. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the world. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Are we surprised that people started following Jesus wherever he went? They watched the miracles. They watched him heal. And maybe they're going to see another miracle. Jesus has them sit down. And he takes those five loaves and those two fish and not only does he feed them all that they want, but there are 12 baskets of pieces left over. This sets the stage for everything else that will follow in this sixth chapter. But that doesn't prevent us from taking a hard look at what's going on at this moment. The other, the other Gospels tell us something that John doesn't tell us. That before he dismissed the crowds, he sent the disciples away. He says, you guys leave. You get on the boat. You go. You go. I'll catch up with you later. And they go, whoa, 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 wait, 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 Lord. No, no. Why does Jesus do this? I, I think, <laughs> I think that they were with the crowd. We're going to force Jesus to be our earthly king. He is the king we want. The problem is not the king that they need. And it doesn't take much of an imagination to imagine that as Jesus is multiplying the loaves and the fishes, that the disciples, as they're handing them out to people, they're saying, hey, be ready, 
be ready. This is it. This is the guy. And you can just see their excitement rising. We've got 5,000 men. That's a pretty good army to start with. And we all know what? That an army travels on its stomach. An army travels on its stomach. If you can't eat, if you're not, if, if you can't eat, you're not going to fight. And here we have a guy who has taken care of all the logistics. We got 12 basketfuls of pieces left over. We'll just distribute those among the 5,000 men. And, and then, Doug, it's your time. Come on up. Bring your little piece to Jesus. Whatever bread that you have left over. And Jesus will take that and he'll bless it and he'll multiply and he'll feed the army. No supply chains. But it gets better than that. They've watched Jesus heal the sick. And I'm thinking that they're thinking to themselves, bring them on. We'll go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Romans and the Herodians. What have we got to lose? Nothing. Because at the end of the day, we will gather up our dead and wounded and bring them back. And Jesus will heal the wounded and raise the dead. The Romans, they'll take their wounded and their dead and they'll bury their dead and tend to their wounded. So now we've got more people taking care of the sick people. So their army is smaller. We're going to come back in the morning 5,000 strong. Every day they start with a new army. That's the kind of king I want to follow. And you can just see the disciples going, yeah, baby, grab your swords, get ready. When Jesus says strike, you be ready. And Jesus says, you know what? I need you guys to leave. Well, no, no, no. This is, this, this is a golden opportunity, Lord. We can't let this go by. You need to leave. Get on the boats and go. Because you see, Jesus didn't come to be the king that they wanted. He came to be the king that they needed. I think they left reluctantly. Begrudgingly, maybe. And then after they leave, Jesus quietly dismisses the crowds and then goes to a mountain to pray. Now, there's so much here. Even in, as, as, as all of this just sets the stage. So here's my, I'm going to give you a charge right now and another one in a couple of minutes. Uh, uh, read the rest of the sixth chapter. You need to read the entire sixth chapter in one setting because what you have just heard it really sets the stage for the conversations that are going to follow. But let's, take a, let's just take a little, a little look here, and, 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 and I'll, I'll do this briefly, but it's, it's important for us to take a look at because when Jesus sees all the people, he already knows what he's going to do, and yet he asks Philip, how are you going to feed these people? And what does Philip say? Lord, I can't. Can't do it. We don't have the money. And if we had the money, all we could do is buy something for everybody. It, it, it can't be done. Even Andrew. Well, there's something here, but it's, it's, it's hardly worth anything in the face of such a great need. What would have happened, do you think, if instead of saying we can't, Philip 
responded to Jesus and said, I'm in. Can you, can you show me how? Can you show me how? Yes, I can. Or, or when, when, when Andrew uh, brings the, the, the boy with his meager lunch, somebody said, hey, we need to thank God for that little boy's mother who probably packed the lunch. Uh, Say, Lord, we got a little bit, but what can we do with that? What, what, what would have happened if Andrew had come in and said, Lord, we've seen you do some amazing things. We know that you are able to do a lot with a little. Here's a start. Show us how. But don't we fall into the same patterns in our own day, in our own lives? We're overwhelmed by the need that we see around us. And so we just withdraw and say, I can't. Or we say, Whatever gift that I have is too small. It's insignificant. It's not going to make a difference. When the reality is God has given gifts to each and every one of us. And no gift, however great or small, is insignificant in the hands of the Lord. It's not about what we can't do. It's about what we're willing to do, what we can do. Uh, a few years ago, I was really going through a, a difficult time, and I had, had, had scheduled myself to audit uh, a, a program in spiritual direction. And, and I was so overwhelmed that I called uh, the, the, the person who was, who was running it and said, I think I need to withdraw. I can't, I can't do this program. I'm just, I'm just too overwhelmed in my life right now. And she said, David, it's not about what you can't do. It's about what you can do. And I think this program is exactly what you need at this point in your life. Oh, and she was right. She was so right. That was a life-saving program for me, even, even just as an audit. It's coming to the Lord with what we can do even if we think it's meager, to put it in the hands of the Lord, trusting that he is at work. And I know it's frustrating, and I know it's hard, and I know it doesn't make sense sometimes. I just lost a friend to cancer. He was only six months older than me. And I grieve. And I know that there are people in the sanctuary today who are hurting. And I know that people are wrestling relationally. Marriages are falling apart. Families are, 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 are exploding. And you want to say, and you tell me that God is sovereign all over, over, over all of this, Pastor? It just doesn't make any sense. And... I might not be able to make sense of my external circumstances, but what I know is that God is able to redeem absolutely everything for his glory and his honor. And I may not fully understand that this side of eternity, but I believe with all my heart that God is still at work.
And we may be at a turning point in our nation. But that ought to be a rallying cry for God's people to really focus in on who Jesus is as the king we need, not the political solution we want. Because politics are never going to be able to solve the problems of the world. I, I have this card. I printed these out. Ten fundamental lessons of history. I taped it in the back of my Bible. If you want one, let me know. I'll print up some more. By Dr. J. Rufus Fears. Ten lessons, fundamental lessons of history. Number one, we do not learn from history. Number two. Science and technology do not make us immune from the laws of history. Number three, and this is important, especially for us here in America, freedom is not a universal value. Hear that. Freedom is not a universal value. Number four, power is. Power is a universal value. Number five, the Middle East is the crucible of conflict and the graveyard of empires. Number six, the United States shares the destiny of the great democracies, the republics, and the superpowers of the past. Number seven, along with the lust for power, religion and spirituality are the most profound motivators in human history. Never underestimate the power of God which, by the way, is unlimited, unlike worldly power, which is limited. Number eight, great nations rise and fall because of human decisions made by individual leaders. Number nine, and this is for us today more than anything, a statesman. A statesman is distinguished from a mere politician by four qualities, a bedrock of principles, a moral compass, a vision, and the ability to create consensus to achieve that vision. And number 10, throughout history, the United States has chartered a unique role in history. We long for statesmen when all we have are politicians. And we are hungry. And we have elections just around the corner. But just like you don't go to the grocery store hungry, don't go to the polls hungry. What are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about feeding your soul. Letting God's word dwell within your heart that his love might be manifest through you into this world that is just crying out for answers that they don't want to hear. Oh, we have a king. But it's not the king we want. It's the king we need. And that is Jesus. Oh, may it never be said of us that the difference between us and our non-believing neighbors is that they're honest about not following Jesus. It's a radical commitment. He represents a hinge in history. Everything changed 
following Jesus. We're more than 2,000 years down the road. Some are beginning to ask the question, is he really coming back? Yep, he is. But the fact that he's not here yet convinces me that we still have work to do. The challenge for us is to be well-fed, to be well-grounded, to know what we believe, why we believe it, because it matters today more than ever. If we are to show the world, not the king that they want, but the king that they need. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. Are we looking for the Jesus we want or the Jesus we need? God doesn't always meet our expectations. In fact, rarely. The question is, do we meet his expectations of us? Probably rarely. But let's not be hungry, but be filled with the word of God and the Holy Spirit so that we can make informed decisions as we move forward in this world at this critical time, offering hope to those who have no hope. Read the rest of chapter 6 today, maybe a couple times throughout this next week. And come back next Sunday to hear the thrilling conclusion. No, it's just a continuation because we're going to be in the 6th chapter of John for all of the month of June. There's so much there for us to understand and to wrap our minds around if we are going to be effective and faithful followers of Christ We gather to worship, we go forth to serve, and as we do so, we bless each other with the blessing of Aaron. It's on the screen if you don't know it, but if you do know it, then bless somebody with it. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.